whatever we can do a hand just to assist in those situations and just allow them that that breathing room where they can go okay I can take care of my kids I can take care of myself I know that my pet is going to be well loved on while I'm out of that situation Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to Sandra Archibald. Sandra, along with Loris Mudd, are the featured guests in Season 6, Episode 1 of YXE Underground. Leaving a domestic violence or interpersonal violence situation is difficult for the person who is receiving the abuse. It can be even more difficult if there is a pet involved. A partnership between Saskatoon's New Hope Dog Rescue and the Saskatchewan SPCA is helping people and animals who are fleeing this type of situation. It's called the Animal Safekeeping Program and it is the focus of this episode of YXE Underground. Sandra Archibald and Loris Mudd love animals and love making a difference in their community. Sandra is the executive director of Saskatoon's New Hope Dog Rescue, which has been pairing rescue dogs with Saskatoon families for years. Laura is the Family Ties Coordinator with the Saskatchewan SPCA and is also a social worker. Together, they are helping people who are experiencing interpersonal violence find a safe place for themselves and their pets through the Animal Safekeeping Program. The program started in 2018 when the previous executive director of New Hope and the previous Saskatchewan SPCA Family Ties Coordinator recognized that there was a huge gap in helping people who were experiencing domestic violence and also have pets. Research was showing that people trying to leave these situations would stay in the relationship in order to protect their animal. Five years later, Sandra and Laura are continuing the work of their predecessors by helping people and animals in need. I met with Sandra and Laura, along with Sandra's puppy dog, Max, who is a New Hope alumni, at the Saskatchewan SPCA's office here in Saskatoon to learn how the animal safekeeping program works and why it takes the right foster family to make the program successful. Now, before we dive in, I want to mention that we are doing two fundraisers for this program here at YXE Underground. We are selling dog and cat bandanas that are yellow and have a black podcast logo on it, along with puppy paws, for $10. And we have brand new YXE Underground shirts that are blue and white three-quarter length baseball tees, and they sell for $25. All of the money from the sales of bandanas and shirts will go to the Animal Safekeeping Program. So you can reach out to me on social media or email ericandersonyxe at gmail.com if you would like some new merch and to help people and animals in need. Okay, on to the interview. I sat down with Sandra, Laura, and Max in the boardroom at the Saskatchewan SPCA office and started by asking Laura how the SPCA started investigating the link between interpersonal violence and animals. Yeah, so the Sask SPCA has really been working on the violence link for now over a decade. Um, lots of our programs focus on that. And so initially what happened was close to a decade ago, our executive director, Francis, went to a Stops to Violence meeting. Stops to Violence is an organization in the province that has a goal of bringing together networks, different organizations, really to work together to prevent and stop gender-based violence in Saskatchewan. 
And so Francis walked in there um, and there were all of these human service agency folks and one animal welfare person. Um, and at that point, it then kind of started into how can animal and human service agencies work together, recognizing the human-animal bond, and then also recognizing kind of the increasing amount of research and increasing amount of knowledge that when a person uses violence in a relationship and uses violence in a home, they are often using it towards humans and animals as well. So that is called violence link when there is a link between, as Sandra already mentioned, animal abuse, interpersonal violence, um, child abuse, and elder abuse. So typically, not always, of course it's never 100%, but typically if there is one form of violence happening, there is likely the other forms of violence happening, or it will escalate and those forms of violence will happen in the future. So the SASC SPCA has been working really closely with Stops to Violence as well as PAS, which is the Provincial Association of Transition Houses and Services of Saskatchewan. So they are the provincial organization that um, works with all of the domestic violence shelters and, and services that support victims and survivors of abuse in the province. Um, so yeah, so these three organizations work really closely together and, and try to provide as many resources as we can um, to the organizations that provide the frontline services as well as education. Wow. So, and, and I know you weren't at that meeting 10 years ago, but the fact that yeah. your, your predecessor walked into that room and there was only one person sort of representing the, the animal side of things, like what, what, is, what, does that, what does that invoke in your mind? Yeah, I mean, on a personal level, I'm a social worker, which typically people think of as providing services to humans. Um, but my whole, all of my experiences, I've really tried to make the connections between the human service side of things and the animal service side of things. Um, and so I think that it's amazing that Francis did that 10 years ago and, and really has made my position available and, and something that wouldn't have been available 10 years ago if she had, hadn't done that. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, um, especially in Saskatchewan too, I think the, the fact that that domestic abuse and, and, and those issues surrounding domestic abuse are, are so prominent, I think, in our province. And yet, for I think for a lot of people, myself included, you know, we automatically don't think of like the animals in, in the house. So then with, with a program like this... Um, Sandra, like from your perspective, was it something like, yeah, let's like, let's just do this? Like, was it easy to get on board? Well, it was easy for me because Tammy had already set it up. Our previous executive director, um, she did all the legwork. She got it all set up. But yeah, it's something that I'm very passionate about, I think, of how many people just don't leave because they can't take their pet with them, right? Rental space, you're not very pregnant pet friendly um shelters not necessarily pet friendly so people feel like they're really really stuck so we're offering one more additional hope help whatever we can do a hand just to assist in those situations and just allow them that that breathing room where they can go okay I can take care of my kids I can take care of myself I know that my pet is going to be well loved on while I'm out of that situation. 
I'll maybe add to that. Um, I think, too, that survivors and victims, when they're in that abusive situation, a pet may be the only real connection that they're able to have that their abuser can't take away from them. It might be the only safe touch that that person has that their abuser can't take away from them. And so it's a really special relationship that that people that are in an abusive situation can have with their pet. And so I think that, you know, the more services like like New Hope's program that we can offer, it's it's recognizing and giving dignity to that relationship that the survivor and victim has with that pet. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've both experienced trauma. You know, in an abusive household, the, the human victim has experienced trauma, but so has that animal. Um, and so recognizing, you know, that that animal also respects or also recognizing that that animal also deserves safety and yeah. deserves those resources, um, I think is really important as well. And there's yeah. so many things that the the instigator, the abuser has maybe withheld, not just from their partner, but also from that pet, whether it be love, it could be veterinary care, it could be access to socializing outside, right? All of those things are happening. So by giving them this space we provide the veterinary care we'll provide the socializing in a safe manner and we'll provide that extra love to that animal until it can be reunited with that animal's person which that bond that human animal bond is just something that you can't deny another human being it's so important can one of you explain to me how logistically it works if if there is a um a person who is trying to leave an an abusive relationship or a a situation at home uh and they might have children but they might also have a a dog or a cat or a different animal how how do they get in touch with with this valuable program i can i can maybe share the like friends family safekeeping co-sheltering then yeah okay so, um, sorry, like no behind way, the yeah. scenes. Um, so when a person is leaving a violent home, there's typically three main options for the pet's safety. So the first one would be to ask friends or family if they're able to provide temporary safe care for that animal, and then it can go stay with an auntie, an uncle, a friend, um, what have you. The second option would be that the if the survivor is going into a domestic violence shelter, then the domestic violence shelter would be pet friendly. So right now in the province, we have over 30 um, domestic violence shelters, and currently two of them are pet friendly. So they are both located in Regina. One is an emergency shelter and one is a second stage shelter, which is really fantastic for Regina not so fantastic for the rest of the province. Um, and then, of course, there's some shelters that, that do offer that kind of on a case-by-case basis and don't have a formal program. And then the third option, of course, is animal safekeeping. And so that would be where the animal would be separated from the owner, from the family, and go into a temporary safe foster setting, such as New Hope's animal safekeeping program. So with our program, what we require is we do need a human care provider just to refer the family to us. Okay. And then we provide them all sorts of paperwork. There's lots of paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a never ending deal, I think, but we provide them with the paperwork that will first off, give us permission to look for a foster home for them. 
It also gives us permission to seek veterinary care for the pet because we want to honor that this is not our animal, this is their animal, and they need to have a voice in the care for this animal. Um, and then from there, once all of that has been received, and a photo, please. <laughs> we need photos. Animals get placed with photos. Um, I reach out. We have a select few foster homes that have been trained in what the link looks like and what this animal may or may not have experienced in its household already. So I reach out to the ones that do not live in the same neighborhood as this animal is leaving. Um, and provided that we have a foster home is available, I then work with the human care provider because I never have direct contact with the client. They never have direct contact with the foster home. So we work to do a transport system then. And what that does is it just re it maintains anonymity and safety for everyone involved. The foster home will know that they'll never know the full story of that animal's past or its future. They'll only know its story while it's with them. They will not share any of its story or any of their musings on its story with anyone outside of their immediate household. There is a confidentiality agreement on that that it just remains that way. Any updates which we will gladly provide to the client will go through me and the human care provider back to the client. So we just keep that level of anonymity at all times. And why, why is that so important? Well, if you're leaving an unsafe situation for any reason and they're threatening your pet, we want to make sure that people that are keeping care of your pet are safe as well as you and nobody's going to be able to then use your pet as leverage against you right so we're keeping that that just so many stages and levels that to be able to find out where that pet is is a certain level of sleuth work that would have to happen because there's only so many people who are going to be aware and and the foster home will never post any photos of the pet they won't take the pet for walks out and about in certain neighborhoods, things like that. They may never leave the yard even. They'll just play and do enrichment and things like that and take them to the vet. And that's it. No dog park visits or anything like that where they may accidentally run into the wrong person. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. So no, like not even like a, a walk in the neighborhood then. It's very... It's like, very, yeah. very anonymous. It's, yeah, this is, I'm just pet sitting. I'm just taking care of this pet. That's all good. We're fine. And that's all it is. It just keeps keeps everyone safe. Because what if so-and-so's friend down the street happened to be visiting a friend in that person's neighborhood, right? And, oh, well, that dog looks awfully familiar. Oh, I know where your dog is. Because, you know, maybe they unwittingly are just like, oh, I didn't know that your dog was staying over in such and such an area. And all of a sudden, somebody knows. That's not supposed to. Oh, Yeah. There's things that you got to think about for safety for a lot of people because when the abuser is in that focused state, what's stopping them, yeah. right? Cool. Yeah, and I think it goes back to the abuser knowing the power of the relationship that that victim and the pet may have between each other. And so if they're wanting to control and have power over the human victim, if they can find the pet and harm the pet, that may be enough 
to bring the victim back to the abuser's home. Especially if if the the victim and the pet have have you know a really close relationship. Yeah, I hadn't thought about the power relationship like that, but that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah, and often too, people will either not leave their home or delay leaving their home if they don't have a safe place for their pet. Again, going back to the control, the abuser might say, if you leave, I'm going to hurt Fluffy. Or if you leave, this is what's going to happen to you, and they will harm the animal in front of them. Um, So it's, yeah, a lot of power control, um, a lot of very real threats that, that could come to fruition if that abuser is able to access the animal. I, I do want to ask about the the foster families in a minute, but um, Sandra, I'm wondering, um, and I know there's only so much you can say, but when when the time comes for like the the process is is beginning and and the um, the person leaving um, the situation has to say goodbye to their their animal, even if it is temporarily, hopefully, but um, like what is is that hard to see? Like, it, or what what is that like? So for me, I'll never see them. I will never meet the client. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but I'm going to say it's going to be hard for everyone involved. Yeah. It's going to be hard on the human care provider. It's going to be hard on the client. Um, and it's it's never easy for that pet. And we see it. We see it when a pet is coming to us for any reason. If they're no longer with their people, they need time to adjust and to know that they're safe, whether it's in this situation or some other situation. Yeah. In regards to foster families, how do you go about choosing the right, the right people? Because this is, you know, there's a lot of responsibility on their part. It's not an easy thing. Um, Most definitely it is about looking for people who can be confidential can keep that level of confidentiality, looking for people who strongly feel about safety for for everyone. Um, whether they have their own past experiences with it or not has never been a question. It's it's yeah, it's not it's not something you want to just ask every foster home, hey, do you want to do this? So honestly we only have about a dozen foster homes currently who have gone through the process of learning what the link is, what it looks like for for the animal and for the family and about the reunification and that uncertainty of never knowing what the future holds when the animal goes back. Can you expand on that a little bit? So when the animal is returned and reunited with their family, we will not have any further contact unless they choose to give updates through their human care provider to myself and then I can filter them down to the foster home but those are few and far between they're not it's not like when we foster a dog and adopt it out and they adopt it like we've had contact we've chosen their home we've gotten we get updates from some of our adopters things like that it's not the same at all it's very very different yeah it's hard <laughs> the foster homes find it hard <laughs> Just I was just thinking that too, because um, as someone who follows New Hope on you know Instagram and Facebook and stuff, I, I think you guys do a wonderful job of 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 updating, of telling the stories, and yet the, you you can't do any of that in nope. this. No, we none of it. It's all very secretive. It's our 
It's our special spy power. (laughs) For lack of a better term, like it really is. You just got to keep it hush hush and quiet and just really respect that somebody is making such a effort for freedom and safety. And we just, we love them for that and we respect them and celebrate them and wherever their journey goes, we want the best for them. And, it, and it's necessary, Laura, isn't it? Like the, the privacy. Yeah, 100%. Very, very necessary. And I think New Hope does a phenomenal job. And obviously we're, we're talking about this program today, but um, again, not being able to post about it on social media and, and really share too much. I think that New Hope deserves a lot of credit for all the families that they're able to impact and help that nobody knows about. Um, you know, nobody knows when they get referral forms sent to them and nobody knows when they are able to help a family with, with um, an, a family in an abusive home leave, which could be completely life-changing. And, you know, they can't celebrate that. So I'm really happy that we're doing this podcast to celebrate <laughs> them and to spotlight them because it's really difficult, um, yeah, to, to run such a program and and not be able to celebrate it. So I think that it's, it's great that we're giving them their recognition that they deserve. Um, like with, with, with the families as well, like is, is, there, is there any sort of like, do you think they feel a, a sense of, like there must be like a strong sense of, of purpose of like they're doing this for, for like a, a greater good kind of deal. I, I guess it's hard to speculate, but like do you think that's how they feel? Oh, that's, that's a hard one to answer because yeah. for everyone, it's going to be different. I think in the moment, it's I, I'm going to assume it's more of a relief. It's going to be just a moment where they can breathe and feel like there's hope at the end of it. Now, how they feel at the end of it when they're reunited, that's even I think that's going to be the biggest relief is that they're reunited with a their family right um but how they feel it's it's going to be a whole gauntlet of emotions that I don't want a lot of people to ever have to deal with yeah Yeah. Yeah. um and I I know for confidentiality purposes you you can't mention specific people or anything like that but are are you maybe in a general term are you able to talk about like is the program having success? Like, is, is it doing what it's, you're hoping that it's, it's doing? That's a really vague question. <laughs> I'm trying to be careful here. Honestly, we've had 30 applications since we started this in 2018, and we have helped five survivors, five families be reunited. I would like to see it be more, but, you know, there's, there's a limit as to what we can do and how we can help. Um, but, yeah, I just, I feel like there's more that we can do. We just need the right people helping with that. When you say the right people, who do, who do you need then, Sandra? I need my foster homes to be available to take dogs. Oh. Um, or I need to search out for more of our active foster home database. But I'm not looking. I don't reach out to the general public and go, we need foster homes for this because that sounds like a really bad idea. <laughs> it has to be somebody who's been fostering for a little bit who has an idea of what working with an animal coming from a less than ideal situation looks like. Um, because that's the, that's the dirty end of it is these animals are really coming from 
a less than ideal situation. So for you to bring them into your home, it's not going to be all puppy snuggles and kisses and all the good stuff. There's going to be a decompression period. There's going to be a learning house rules. They may need house training. They may have never been allowed in the house. They may need some counter conditioning. They may need some behavior therapy. Um, there's a lot of things that this animal could possibly need. And the foster home has to be not just willing and able, but capable of providing that and and understanding that it will get better. This is a short-term pain for a long-term gain for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to note too, when Sandra said like foster homes, um, that really the animal welfare industry as a whole is running at overcapacity across our province and arguably across Canada right now. And so when somebody is in that urgent situation where they need a foster home like right now, all the foster homes might be full because there are so many animals that need to be placed. There aren't enough people adopting. Every shelter, every rescue, every frontline organization is really working at overcapacity right now in terms of the animal welfare world. And so just saying, hey, we need a foster home is difficult to to start with right now, let alone we need a foster home that is specifically trained, that maybe the animal isn't good with cats, maybe they're not good with other dogs, maybe they're not good with children, very specific in a specific area. As you start to put in the safety factors and the confidentiality factors, it really limits where and who you're able to place that animal with. And then again, if New Hope or all the other organizations are running at capacity or overcapacity, it's impossible to just build a house and, and say, you know, here, here, foster home, <laughs> there you go. Um, so there's a lot of kind of behind the scenes intricacies that, that lead up to placing an animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Sandra, I just wanted to clarify too, you mentioned um, 30 and then five have gone back. Does that mean the other 25, would they stay with the foster families then or? No, no. we just weren't able to find placements, oh, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's just, that's the reality that I deal with every time one of those forms comes into my inbox. It's like, okay, how can we help? Who can possibly let me reach out? Because I reach out to individual foster homes. I don't send it out as a, a blanket email. Who can possibly take this animal? Are they are they already have an animal in their home? Are, do they, are they on holidays? Are they, you know... Are they already at capacity mentally and emotionally and they need a, to step away for a little bit? Like there's there's so many factors that we take into consideration with that besides the physical reality of where do they live, who do they, where do they go to, things like that. There's, yeah. Is, is this hard for you? Like when you have to say, I'm sorry, we can't help? Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's never the conversation that I want to have because I know that it's it's hurting somebody in some way, shape, or form that we're not able to just step in and swoop in and be the saviors. But we're not the saviors. We're just a, a cog in the wheel trying to help. Right? Conversely, though, you've, you've helped five, which I think is, is, is amazing. How does that make you feel? That makes me very proud. Okay. Those are five families that have been able to stay together because we offer this program. Yeah. Laura, you mentioned something earlier that I want to touch back on um, about the shelters 
in in Saskatchewan and how there's there's two in Regina that will accept animals but none here in Saskatoon um how how do you go how do you go about working with shelters then to to maybe change that here in the city Mm-hmm. Yeah, so at the Sask SPCA, because we're province-wide and we don't operate a shelter ourselves, we uh, work on more macro-level approaches. Um, and so one way that we support domestic violence shelters in becoming pet-friendly is we have what we call the Saskatchewan Co-Sheltering Network. So this network, um, we meet once every two months and we discuss all things co-sheltering um, that is open to all domestic violence shelters and so we have the two shelters that are pet friendly included in that network we also have a variety of shelters across the province including in Saskatoon that are not pet friendly but they are working towards it so we can talk about challenges successes um, funding ideas kind of just how to how to problem solve collectively as a group. Um, and we also include human service agencies that don't operate a shelter, but they, sur- they support uh, people that are experiencing violence. So it could be counseling services or, or those sorts of community supports, family services, um, those sorts of things. So that's one way. In 2021, we released a viability report. And so that is a very long document report that goes over um, all of the ways that a shelter could become pet friendly and kind of debunk some of those myths. So maybe around allergies or around um, how the animals move throughout the shelter with humans, um, those sorts of things. So we have that viability report and yeah, we have a handful of other resources uh, that we can, we can support. We provide to folks that, or to the shelters that do accept pets, we provide pet care kits. And so a pet care kit, they can call us, we order it um, typically from a store and then they just do pick up from there. And so a pet care kit is personalized to each animal that comes into the shelter so it could be a cat it could be a big dog a small dog it could be a hedgehog Um, and so with those pet care kits we provide all of the essentials that are needed to care for the animal so that the domestic violence shelter feels confident saying yes you can you can bring your animal here we have what you need Um, and also if there's a family leaving at two in the morning they don't have to worry about you know grabbing the dog bowls or grabbing the bed for for their dog or their cat or that sort of thing grabbing the litter box those sorts of things um so yeah so we provide those pet care kits as well yeah that's that's nice too i i I hadn't thought of that scenario either but yeah if you have to leave in the middle of the night and you're yeah yeah, you might not be able to take dog bed or a kennel or anything like oh yeah yeah it's there's there's lots of uh complexities to it I think when you really get into kind of the nitty-gritty of how things work and and I think also maybe important to note is that's just small animals right which um yeah you can stuff a cat into a carrier and and away you go um and then there's a whole nother can of worms when you talk about large animals and and those sorts of things um that are completely different and yet very relevant in Saskatchewan because we have such a high rural right. rural population um, and there's a very high rate of domestic violence in rural and remote communities and across the province. Um, Saskatchewan has over doubled the rate of, of violence compared to the national rate when we're talking about domestic violence. So it's a very, um, what is the word, stark 
stark situation that we are in as a province. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but we have a very, very high rate. And so these, these programs are, are really important to support the whole family. Yeah. And hopefully by having these programs, we're able to help start change some of those statistics, yeah. right? That's, that's kind of the end goal. If we can make it so that less people are dealing with this situation, then we're doing it right. That's good because I, I was I was just thinking as you were painting that picture, Laura, and and what we've been discussing for the last half hour or so, um, like do you do you, like are you hopeful going forward? Like in terms of like the the that you can make you know improvements and and I see Max is hopeful because he just perked <laughs> up a bit, but like like do you how do you stay optimistic? I think you have to be hopeful that you're making a change, um, and the reality is. Every person is coming at this for different reasons. But for me personally, it is knowing that one person walking away from that situation is one person saved. And if we're able to help them with that and with their pet, then we've done a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that I'm very hopeful in terms of um, supporting victims and survivors along with their pets in Saskatchewan. I think that there's been organizations, New Hope and, and other organizations as well, that have really prioritized and really put at the forefront this idea of the violence link and how can we support survivors and victims and their pets together. And so, yeah, I do think that in the last five, six, seven, eight years in Saskatchewan, there has started to be this shift and and really promising programs and resources available. That's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you are optimistic because I, I really do, like, I, I think the world of the work that you're doing, and it, and it is so important. Um, but like you said, it's, it's especially in this province, it's um, like, the, it's a steep hill to climb, isn't it? But it's, it's good to see that you're, yes. Yes. And I just want to say too, um, I think with both, both the work that Sandra and I do, it's really difficult to prove a negative. So, so yes, there are families that are, that are being helped and, and that's amazing and, and yeah, really fantastic. But all the other work that we do as well, it's very hard to prove a negative. And so how do you prove without statistics that, you know, that those families' lives are changing or that, that our programs are making a difference and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to, to prove that things are working. Um, yeah. But yet you, you do see it, you guys are seeing it and that must, yeah. that must feel good. Yeah. 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 It does. Yeah. yeah. Sandra, you mentioned before we, we got rolling, there was another program that you wanted to mention quickly. Yeah. yeah. So we also, and it just, it came because of the hot, the animal safekeeping yeah. program. We also offer a hospital care program. So that one's a much broader spectrum that it covers. That one is for anyone who's seeking assistance with their pets while they are, they need to be hospitalized or they need to seek medical treatment. Um, they could be looking for rehabilitation. They could be needing, maybe they're just having some housing situation, right? Because we know what rental housing is like in Saskatchewan with pets. Um, it could be any of those. And we offer the same short-term fostering for people in those situations. So we can, again, just take something off of your plate because we know people are not seeking medical help 
when they need it. They're not seeking addictions treatments. They're not seeking the surgeries that are needed because they have no place for their animal. So if we can offer that temporary relief, we do. And that one's easier in a way because we can just send it out to all of our foster homes. It doesn't need to be as confidential unless the client wishes it to be. Um, but we can we can send it out to everyone and and know that this animal's probably been to a vet. This animal has probably been cared for and socialized and trained and well-loved. Um, there's no doubt that any of them have not been well-loved. They've all been well-loved by somebody, but what kind of situation they're coming out of, it's a little different with the hospital care program generally. And for so for that, we've been able to help a few more clients because we've been able to send it out to all of our foster homes. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, you both have been very, very generous with your time, and I, and I really do appreciate it. Um, before I let you go, though, I want to know, um, for people that are listening and, and want to help in some way, um, especially with, with this amazing program, how can people help? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> oh, my. Um, you know, support your friends and neighbors. Make sure that they're aware of this situation if you suspect that they're in a dangerous situation, if they're being abused or they feel like their animal's going to be abused, make sure they are aware that this program exists and that there are people to reach out to for help. I think that's probably the biggest help you can do for our program because of the confidentiality and stuff. We don't actually actively seek anyone to come in and help with it, but donations are always appreciated. <laughs> we never say no to a donation. And you can, when you're donating to New Hope, you can specify, I want this to go towards the animal safekeeping program because we do cover all of the vet bills for those animals. Okay. Yeah. Or anything to add at all? I would say more on a broader scale. Um, if you do work in an organization, be it a human service organization or an animal service organization, consider how you can support families that might be experiencing violence and how you can incorporate both the humans and the pets in the families that you're serving. Laura, Sandra, thank you so much for your time. I, I've learned so much from you, and I, and I really do admire the, the work that you're doing, not only, not only with this program, but like with everything that you do. But um, this is really important work, so thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for highlighting this. This is amazing. Yeah. Thank you. My thanks to Sandra Archibald and Laura Smud for being on the podcast and sharing their passion for the Animal Safekeeping Program. You can learn more about the program by visiting newhoperescue.org. This has been Season 6, Episode 1 of YXC Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. I host, produce, and edit this local independent podcast. You can listen to YXC Underground wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or the YXC Underground website. And please feel free to leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. Follow YXC Underground on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and that's where you will see some lovely photos of Sandra and Laura, and Max as well, 
taken by Saskatoon photographer Rana Andres. Rana did a great job with these photos and I think you will love them. And don't forget that if you would like to purchase a new YXC Underground dog or cat bandana or t-shirt, feel free to reach out to me on social media or send an email to ericandersonyxc at gmail.com. The bandanas are $10, shirts are $25, and all of the money goes to the Animal Safekeeping Program. Thank you so much for your support. I want to thank Saskatoon's Danger Dynamite for maintaining the website and to my cousin Andrew Dixon for providing the original theme music. Before I go, I would like to acknowledge that this interview was conducted on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. YXE Underground is a production of the Salt Hammer Production Company. My name is Eric Anderson. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon.